Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Shop Talk Show. This week is brought to you by two lovely sponsors. For the first time, we have Discover Meteor sponsoring the show, which is a fantastic book by uh, Sasha Grief and Tom Coleman. And it's all about Meteor.js, which is one of those newfangled, fancy JavaScript frameworks. And Environments for Humans, which is happening this February 17th through 19th. Uh, use coupon code Shop Talk for 100 bucks off. That's coming up in Orlando, Florida. Anyway, we're going to tell you more about both of those things later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Hello and welcome to episode number 97 of the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design and development. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hi, everybody. I feel like during that theme song, I need some papers to, like, kind of fake organize like Jon Stewart does in the beginning. Oh, yeah, just kind yeah. of, like, drawing on papers. And- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, thanks for listening, everybody. Today we have with us Mina Markham. Hi. Hi guys! Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I get fanfare. Uh-huh. So Mina is a is a designer and a front end developer in Texas, right? Yes, Dallas, Texas. You live in Dallas, Texas, but you work in not Dallas, Texas, right? Yes, I work in not Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big line between Dallas and not Dallas. Yeah. So what's up? It's a little bit it's a, north of us. You were telling us just a little bit about, it, but I don't know much about it. So do you want to tell us where the what the what the day job is and stuff? Yes, the day job is a company called Perigo. Basically, we make websites for larger corporations to sort of reward their employees. So if you ever work for a corporation, they give you like a "Hey, good job! Here's fifty dollars." We probably handled the transaction for that. So oh, really? So literally yep. incentives. Yeah, okay. Yeah, like actual incentive that you can spend and get stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. And then and then you kind of have a, a side, you call yourself kind of pixel, uh, Pink Pixels Creative. Is that still kind of going I on? I do. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of my uh, side gig. Uh, basically, I have a couple of clients who I do some, I handle their uh, branding with some of their websites and things. It's sort of whenever I... I only take on a couple clients at a time because, you know, I'm busy with the day job. So right. uh, it kind of helps me brush up, brush my skills up and kind of keep up to date, too. So I, you know, I like to keep busy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure because, you know, once you know the web, right, people like it's kind of hard to avoid having people asking you to, to, to do some kind of work. Maybe perhaps it was a reaction to that or I don't know. Or, or did you yeah, start it with bit. that? You say that? Did you or was that is that kind it of the started dream? off with just. Sorry, it started off with just me, kind of, like you said, people say, hey, can you do a site for me real quick? So I would do it. And then slowly, as it's gotten a little bit bigger, I decided to make it a little bit more formal and put it, make it its own sort of entity, its own little world that I handle clients who aren't just my buddies saying, hey, I want a site. Now they're actual clients who seek me out and, you know, there's contracts and everything. It's very, very grown up. Yeah, heck yeah. Do you even have like a cool LLC and stuff? I don't. So I'm just like asking you how to be a grown up. 
I don't have an LLC because it is just me right now. Yeah, right. So I thought that would be a little bit of a overkill. I don't know, guys. Dave Rupert LLC is very is banner, banner year. <laughs> banner year. <laughs> I don't know. I would get some employees, but I just I need some like something to help me with incentives, you know. Ah, performance. Ah, 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 I could totally uh, do that for you. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we've had a question before, just as an aside, that's related to Pink Pixels Creative, where people kind of write in and they ask, should, you know, I'm just me. Should I make a website that like kind of looks like I'm an agency or should I just, and then, and the, but you've kind of taken it both ways. It looks like that, but then there's also like some text right on Pink Pixels Creative that's just like, hey, this is just me. You know, you're like, you're very upfront about the fact that it's just you. Some people like, are, what do you, how do you kind of feel about that? <laughs> like the, should you be upfront about that? Or is there some use cases where kind of pretending like you're bigger than you are is useful? I sort of take an honest approach to most things. So I'm very upfront about people. Like, really, it is just me. I don't have minions doing all of my work for me. <laughs> that way, it kind of sets up realistic expectations for what they can expect me to be able to produce for them. And the turnaround time is like, I'm doing this on my own time, like after hours, weekends. So it really helps to make sure that the client and I are both on the same page as to what can and will be done for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. On. I think that's super sensible. Absolutely. You, I feel like if you lie and you're like, we're mega corp, you know, you just set yourself up for disappointing the client when they realize you're just one person or whatever, you know, I, mm-hmm. I feel like, yeah, you just set yourself up. Mm. Fabulous. Um, I was going to say, the listeners may not know this, but Mina uh, has been on the Shop Talk show before. So I'm going to play a little clip and, and see if you can pick out Mina's voice. Here we go. Are you ready? Just build websites. Uh, <laughs> oh, that is awesome. <laughs> uh, Mina, of course, it was you were at and you spoke at Front End Web Design Conference or Front End Front End. Design conference. design conference down in yes. uh, St. Pete. Yep. Yes. I, I did speak. I did a, a day two talk. It was about a 15 minute lightning talk. And I saw you guys do your thing live and I got to be recorded as that sound effect. So it's, it's kind of cool. Awesome. That's awesome. And so you spoke on SAS, is that right? I did. I spoke on uh, SAS and how to use that with responsive web design. Um also sprinkled in a little bit of uh, Zorb, or, excuse me, Zerbs Foundation for at the time Foundation Four framework because uh, it tends to be what I use to do some of my web development. So um, yeah, I spoke a little bit on that and how to do some some neat cool tricks to kind of speed up the process. I think it went down pretty well. I got some nice feedback from, and it was my first time speaking in public anywhere, so I was kind of petrified. But you know, I think it turned out well. <laughs> That's cool. And you had said in your talk or whatever, you're inspired to talk because of ladies in tech. Is that right? The, the like Jen Lucas and Ballahead. Yeah. Jen. Yeah. uh, Ladies in tech. I, that's kind of what inspired me to sort of raise my profile, so to speak in the industry, Mm because there's not a lot of well-known female developers. I'm not convinced there's not a lot of female developers. I think people just don't know that we, we exist. So I kind of wanted to 
basically say, hey, I'm here. Um, I think I have something interesting to say. I hope you guys agree. So, uh, yeah, I, I totally thank Jen for that. And I also slash blame her if people start getting <laughs> sick of me or <laughs> think that I'm an idiot. I, it's her fault. She sort of made me do it. Great job. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I think blame Jen Lucas is a pretty should be a meme. Here you know, they I'm, literally have should. a new podcast, uh, Ladies in Tech, which you should. Yeah, check that's out. worth mentioning, right? Yeah. A new episode today with Steph Hay. Mm, indeed. Is there? A, there's a Stephanie Hay and a Stephen Hay. Is that right? That's correct. In our industry. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Eternal confusion for me. <laughs> I'll get through it. I'll They're get through both it, very smart. I know. They, they feel like they talk about the same stuff. Very similar stuff. So anyway, I'll get through it. I'll power through, guys. Oh, we have plenty of other stuff to talk about, but maybe we should dig into Q&A. Or I know normally before we do Q&A, we do drama and news and links, but I feel like it was a little light on the on that type of stuff. Where you do, Unless you can put your finger on any, Dave. Uh, pretty light. Um, you were sick, I know. Yeah. So the drama was for sick, you so was I... snot and Kleenex. I sort of, yeah, I sort of uh, checked out. So anyway, yeah. so that's you know, all. one thing that occurs to me is there was a, um, there was this was very light on the drama scale, but I I weighed in on it. Was that myth myth Did you see that? Kind of like a new entrance to the to the CSS preprocessor market. Oh no, I didn't see it. Really, I, I actually saw that. I saw that yesterday, and I was kind of intrigued by it. Cool. What is so it? and and, and we, me. Mina's team sass, you know, as you put on your on your profile, and I yes, I kind of am too. I mean, I try to stay away from just being like, this is the one that you should pick, and I won't hear anything else. You know, like I I, I am fairly agnostic when it comes to them. I think they there's things that I like about all of the different CSS preprocesses, and I could tell you all about that maybe <laughs> in another show possibly, but uh, but in general, I feel like sass is still kind of winning in terms of community and i think it's still the best language overall uh as far as just kind of like if you're just if you just you don't know when you need to pick one i think that's kind of the way to go still however uh it has not shaken out yet you know like i feel like in the you know if we look kind of look back at this preprocessor thing five years from now i think that the kind of the winner will be more clear uh, but anyway, so that is because that war hasn't shaken out yet. There's st- there's still kind of some new entrants, and, and myth may be turn out to be one of the, the the kind of new new entrances. So for like a two second preview, it kind of has a uh, a polyfill approach to it, and they call it a oh that's interesting. They they actually changed. They, they were calling it a post processor, and I kind of wrote a little thing yesterday that I was like, it's kind of weird to call it a pr- post processor because it's kind of like I don't know it. It looks at your CSS and it turns it into, or you know, you write in this special syntax and it turns it into CSS before the browser. You know, so it's kind of like let's just call it a preprocessor. And now they are, so they're they've been very responsive to that, um, that that kind of thing. But you kind of write in such a way that you kind of pretend like some future stuff in CSS kind of just works already, and then it and then it, you know it processes your CSS into a. Uh, uh, it just makes it work where it can, you know, like the so very like CSS level four sort of stuff. It is where, yeah. where it can. And the, um, like for example, variables are coming to CSS. So maybe we should start writing uh, syntactually 
the way that it's going to be in CSS. This thing will kind of make it work, you know, just like SAS can make variables work. But then eventually it can kind of wean off and stop doing that as browsers support it, you know, which is kind of a neat way to do it. And maybe the, the, there's some color functions that it can do and stuff. There was a little bit of drama in that, like Chris Epstein in particular was vocal about how there's some things that you just can't do pre you cannot pre-process how calc works for example you can if it's just you're trying to pre-process you know three divided by seven or whatever that's still kind of useful because that number is really weird and it's easier to see three divided by seven the 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 calculate just that on the page and not what the result of that is but you can't do like a hundred percent minus 30 picks that's not possible to pre-process that because the browser has to be involved so it's kind of like don't tell people that you can and they don't really it's not like there's a they're pretending that that works it's just it's just it's not as clear as I would like it to be, I guess. And then, but then it's like pretend that um, prefixes don't exist. That's really cool. Anyway, I should stop talking. What have you? What is your first impression of it, Mina? It sounds very interesting. I mean, like you said, I am kind of team SAS, so I was a little bit like, well, really, we don't need another one. But the way you just described it, it's. I think it could definitely be useful in certain cases. I probably won't get into it anytime soon just because I don't necessarily have the time to try to figure out a new system. Although, like you said, it does use actual CSS, so maybe I'll change my mind later. But I mean, definitely, I think that if you're not already committed to a CSS preprocess or if you're not already sort of used to using one, it definitely will be something worth looking into if you don't want to like learn a new syntax or something. Yeah, I agree, isn't that? It is kind of compelling, right, that, like, you don't, like, it is, any CSS that you've ever written is valid in this, too, which is kind of neat, you know, which is not the case for something like SAS, the .sass syntax or whatever, because it's, it's, it's too different, right? There's no curly braces, there's no semicolons, that kind of thing, and if you put a semicolon, it becomes invalid. Um, there's something to be said about just you know allowing more in the syntax that you're already comfortable with so it's interesting could, that's for could sure could sas not inherit this uh like couldn't it inherit this this syntax that is myth io is using could you what could sas not inherit the syntax that myth io is using it, like yeah and you could also use both really but yeah, i guess right? that that would be weird but um, I don't know. You could. I think maybe that's what they meant in the early days when they're saying post-processors. Like at some level, you could kind of use both. Like for example, they don't like like the idea of mixins. Apparently, I find mixins extremely valuable. You know? Yeah, yeah. So and like placeholders and yeah. All right. Anyway, it's it looks good. <laughs> I I don't know. Some I think it's somebody will use it. It's probably fast as heck too, because it's. I think it's it's. Pro, I, I guess I, I don't I don't know why I'm saying this. Oh, it has a nice JavaScript API. I don't know. It's just it's not in Ruby. I doubt. You know. I'm sure sure it's kind of go. kind of a node thing, and so that's one of the things that kind of is interesting to me kind of is that SAS is so embedded into the, into the Ruby world. Not that you need to need Ruby and not that like having Ruby a part of your stack is that big of a deal, but there is some like speed concerns that probably will never be alleviated in, in SAS. And it's kind of appealing to me to, to think of a world in which SAS was as fast as these node ones. Mm -hmm. Okay. Hey, I'm going to go off script here. Yeah. I got some questions. Sure. Been hanging on to them for a while. Andreas Larson writes in, hey, David Trump, 5,000. 
Which op? I've been on the quill, guys. <laughs> so this is what you're getting. <laughs> hey, which opera song is the most popular among front end developers? Which? Oops. Which opera song <laughs> is the most popular among front end developers? Console Mio. <laughs> All right. Hey. Okay. But oh seriously, folks. God. Adam Wagner writes in. How do you keep a lion from turning left? How do you keep a lion from turning left? Shout and roar. <laughs> Semicolon. Get it right? Arrow. <laughs> yes. Oh my Shout God, really. and roar. All right. One more. Ralph Mason. Hey, Chris, I really want to thank you for letting me tank your podcast yeah, real quick. You're welcome. I, all right. Here we go. Ralph Mason writes in. Hey, question. Why, why did the font designer hate Georgia? Why did the font designer hate Georgia? Because Georgia wasn't his type. Oh, poor Georgia. Oh, God. Poor Georgia never gets... Invited to the prom. All right, <laughs> guys. <laughs> hey, Vince. Back on track. <laughs> We're going to get into the Q&A. Vince Agrippino. Uh, Agrippino. I like it. Writes in. Yeah, it's a cool word. Name. I've just started using compass mixins and helpers, but I found that it doesn't solve all of my prefixing problems, specifically at keyframes. They're not addressed by Compass. What solution do you prefer and what approach do you recommend that I take? Is there a conflict if I use both Compass and something like Prefixer or Auto Prefixer? Should I write my own mixins to try to handle this or should I choose from one of the gazillion or so community mixins? available how do you handle that i mean your team sass mean right it's it's i'm it is correct right that the stable version of compass is not supporting at keyframes yet it doesn't like help you with that i feel like that is right and if it's wrong i apologize chris epstein but i feel like i've tried to do that before with compass and it did not work out well for me um basically what i ended up doing was since SAS, the SCSS syntax is still, CSS is still valid in that syntax. I've just been writing those uh, in vanilla CSS and then using Compass for the other prefixes that it actually does support. Um, I am always looking for another solution. I was looking for some, like you said, community makes sense. And I found a couple that I liked. Unfortunately, I can't remember any of the names at the moment. Oh, so yeah. if you, It's a Google thing. Yeah. If yeah. You, yeah, but um, I did see a few that other people have written that seem to handle it pretty well. Um, but if you're down for, I'm always down for writing your own thing, especially if for no other reason, then it's a good learning process. But um, yeah, basically my solution has been just write those vanilla and use Compass for what it does support. Right on, right on. I kind of, yeah, that'll, that'll be interesting. I th- I think maybe the pre-release version of Compass has it. I know Bourbon has it if you just don't want to use Compass at all and you want it. And Bourbon is more more aligned. It just handles prefixing for the most part, right? Like, I don't know. I think it has a few helpers too, but not nearly as many as Compass has. Yeah. 
Um, and then there's kind of like, I'm a big fan of just not using, not using either bourbon or compass or any of the other add-ons or any of the other prepresses for prefixing in that the, 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 you know, the best prefixing solution today is auto prefixer and just add that as part of your build process in addition to, um, using SAS and, and, and whatever else. Cause it just is so good at it and it absolutely chews through, uh, keyframes just fine. So I guess that's what I would suggest. Um, but if you can't add that to your build process or you don't want to, or you don't like it or whatever, um, certainly you can just Google one and use it. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then just make sure to kind of keep it updated. Cause I, I, I so often see, um, people that, that th- there's a mix in it and it's just, it's just like, it just spits out everything. Uh, like, you know what I mean? Just like, it still has like, O keyframes in it, which is just like, come on, you know, like, like, <clears throat> just that's bloaty and just is not an as elegant of a solution. You'll have to keep updated it yourself then, which is kind of a bummer. It's not just a dependency that updates and I don't know. And then, and then like, well, here's another hard problem when it comes to keyframes. What if your keyframes... Um, within the keyframes, there's like transitions and transforms. Does that mix in elegantly handle that in which that like in a WebKit keyframes, it only does at WebKit tr- transitions and transforms or does it like squish them all together and, and it has to prefix everything in all the different prefix keyframes? I know that was a tongue twister there, but a good prefixer will only put the vendor prefixes in the prefix keyframes that it needs. So that's something to critique them based on, I guess. How much prefixing <gasps> prefixing should a prefixer fix if a prefixer can't prefix <laughs> fix? Good point, Dave. Good point. I'm on the quill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this next one is gets a little heavier. So let me do a uh, uh, let me do a a kind segue. Of, yeah, nice transition. Right. I feel like we've talked about you know occasionally it just because this is a sign of the times. The uh, JavaScript frameworks come up, right? Everybody wants to know which 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 one should they use? Should they be interested in JavaScript MVC as they call it? And what's the difference between them? And which one's the most productive? And whatever. Um, Meteor is one of them, right? And it, how it falls in exactly, I, you know, maybe we shouldn't get into this moment because it's a sponsor spot and we need to get on with it. But, uh, uh, there, Meteor.js is one of them. It kind of helps you get applications out quicker. Right. And there is a book about it. If you want to learn all about Meteor called discovermeteor.com. And you've heard us mention, um, uh, sidebar.io. Have you guys ever heard of that? It's kind of like a, here's five links today that are really cool. The, the kind of creator of that, Sasha Grief, is the author of this book. So you've, you know, there's some kind of connection between the show there. So if you want the book, which is, you know, let's bone up and get good at building real time JavaScript web applications, go to discovermeteor.com slash shop talk. Uh, and you get 20% off of just kind of automatically by using the URL if you go to Slap Shop Talk of, of buying the book if you wanted to. So, uh, and as co- uh, co-author Tom Coleman on that. So it is, uh, you know, the kind of comprehensive resource if you want to dig in and get good at this new world of JavaScript web application building. So enjoy that. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. Let's get on with some more questions. So Frederick Futura writes in, and we have some kind of specific questions for Mina about, you know, what it's like in your life and stuff. And there's there's a couple of them, and we'll just start with the first one, see how far we get. Uh, he asks, do you feel any isolation being a black woman in the dev encoding community? So within the past week, uh, well, let's leave it at that. 
Do you want to? Okay. Um, I kind of actually expected a question like this, so I'm happy somebody actually stepped up. Um, nice. <laughs> I don't. At some, let me back up a little bit. At first, I did when I was first starting. I did feel a little isolation. It wasn't necessarily from anything anyone did. It was more sort of a internal process where I didn't see a lot of people who were like me doing this, and so my subconscious reaction was, well, you know, maybe I should just find something else to do with my time. Like clearly, you know, clearly I'm not going to be good at this because this is this kind of thing that we quote unquote do. But eventually I got over myself and I figured out that I really do love doing this type of work. I love being a web designer and developer. I love doing this work and there's no reason why I can't do it. And I have slowly, that's that thought process that I had at the beginning is actually part of why I decided that I wanted to attempt to make myself more known because I wanted I wanted people who might be thinking the same thing. It's like, look, there's no reason why you can't do this job. If you have the skills, if you have the drive and desire to stay on top of your game and do it, then by all means, go for it. So um, to answer the question, I did feel a little bit of isolation at the beginning of my career. I don't feel it as much anymore, mainly because I realized that the web community is very welcoming and very open. And the more I meet people, especially like the web heroes, so to speak, when I see people who I've followed online and I meet them in person and they're so wonderful and welcoming and warm to me, I, yeah, I don't feel isolated at all anymore. I feel very comfortable here. Yeah, that's great. So it's interesting that you said that there was some kind of most of the struggle, I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth or whatever, but you had, there was some like internal stuff to get over more than external in your case. Yeah. Um, like I said, I've never felt like there was never anything directed towards me in that sense. It was more things that I was projecting on the people, mainly because of what I felt was a lack of representation. I just sort of, sort of, subconsciously started beating myself up thinking, well, maybe, maybe I am stupid or crazy to try to do this. Maybe this is not where I'm supposed to be, but it was never anything that I can pinpoint, say this made me feel that way, or that made me feel that way. It was more just, I was mainly doing a lot of negative self-talk is what it comes down to. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you kind of hopefully have got past most of that. That's, 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 it's pretty encouraging that you weren't, that you, you got, you never got, too much nasty stuff, which is awesome. So in related, how do you, the second part of this question is, how do you feel about the organization called Black Girls Code uh, and what they're doing? I think they rock. I think that they are awesome and I love what they're doing. Um, basically, it's sort of, it reminds me of uh, Girl Development, which I will talk about a little bit later because I'm kind of getting involved in that. But I like the idea specifically of Black Girls Code because of what I went through. It's sort of letting little girls who were like me know that, yeah, this is something you could totally do. If you really have an interest in it, then by all means, you know, we'll give you the skills, we'll give you the knowledge you need and go forth and, you know, make the career and life you want to, you want to have. And I, I, I think that they're doing great things and I would definitely want to see more more of these kind of organizations, more of these kind of things pop up. Cool. That's great. That's nice to hear support for stuff and what somebody thinks that, you know, has something to say about that. 
Let's see. Um, yeah, and so you said you're you're possibly getting more involved in Girl Develop It. I think that's kind of the third part of this question. So is that is that is that under wraps yet, or <laughs> it's just is it you're just going to kind of help sponsor or teach a class? It's it's not necessarily under wraps. I actually just got an email for uh, the go ahead. I'm starting the Dallas chapter pretty soon because I was surprised to find out that we didn't have one, and it started out with. Again, Jen Lucas, she's kind of becoming like a pseudo mentor to me, I guess. But I found out that she was a teacher and I wanted to myself become a teacher. And then I figured out that we didn't have a chapter in Dallas. And so I contacted all the people I can think of that could help me figure this out and what I needed to do to start a chapter. And I just recently got the approval from uh, headquarters to go ahead and do it. So, yeah. Uh, Girl Develop in Dallas is starting, and classes hopefully will be starting up in the spring. In Dallas? Wow, that's great. Yep. Cool. That's great. That's awesome. Well, I I appreciate you talking about that, and Frederick, for asking that question. Just because we don't, I mean, you know, like when I go to conferences or whatever, it's like all white dudes with glasses and plaid shirts, and I'm a white dude with the glasses and plaid shirts. You know, it's got to be even hard for a woman uh, and then a, a black woman to like, you know, you're, there's less women and then there's less, uh, you know, uh, minorities in our STEM field, our science technology field. Um, so I just, I appreciate that you're stepping up to kind of like say like, Hey, you can do this. I think it's really awesome, Mina. So thank you so much. Thank you. I think it's amazing. Yay. Do you have it? There's got to be some kind of appropriate sound effect button for that. Excellent. <laughs> oh, yes. That's I'll the one it. I got. <laughs> Steve McKinney writes in at the company I work for, I am primar- primarily a front end coder. Occasionally, I get design scraps thrown my way, which I look forward to. Although I'm fairly new to the company and they're aware of my design capability, they insist on getting external design agencies um, to do the design work. And those design agencies are always print specialized. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh, print. <laughs> Ugh, Ugh, those guys. The, this is mostly frustrating uh, for myself. You know, it's like I think if they depended on me, I would be saving the company money and the output of the websites would be kind of quicker, possibly better. Um, yeah, and, and kind of save all that back and forth time between working with this company and the design agency and stuff. How do I convince this company to take a chance on me for more of this design stuff? Well, first, I think you guys start off with some ABBA. Take a chance on me. Take a chance oh, yes. on me. Take a chance, take a chance. That's all I got. Mina, you're, you're, you're not on NyQuil. You're more suited to answer this question. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? Um, have you even have you have, been in a situation like this at all? Or? Yeah, I um, not necessarily an outside firm. Like I guess I'll talk about my current company. Um, hopefully, I won't get in too much trouble. But they do. I think they see me as more because my official title is front end developer. So they see me more as a strictly developer, and I'm kind of just stuck in the code. And I do have web design skills, and I would love to be able to utilize them. And basically, what I ended up doing was just sort of showing them that I was capable of doing it. I took one of our, on my downtime, I took one of our current clients and current sites, and I sort of did my take on it and showed them, okay, this is what I'm capable of. There's no need for you to get outside contractors or outside uh, companies or even go to a different department to get these things done. There's, 
I'm sitting right here. There's a resource that you're not tapping. And this is what you would be able to, this is the fruit of that labor, I guess, so to speak. And it turns out that it's actually really effective. Um, Depending on the organization and how much bureaucracy you have to deal with, you may not get very far. But at the very least, people tend to respond to results. So instead of just telling them, this is what I can do, I would say show them, like, this is what I can do if you would give me a chance to do it and see how they respond to it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, kind of ask for it. (laughs) Possibly, Possibly one of the ways you could do it. Uh, and it sounds like, Steve, you have a lot of the things that you explained to us um, just may not be a, immediately apparent to them, that the fact that it saves this back and forth, that saves money, I have the ability anyway, would make me a happier employee. You know, you have a lot of ammunition there, Steve. So hopefully some some way you can kind of make it be known without... It does, I'm sure it feels a little awkward, right? You can't just march into your boss's office with stuff like this because it's, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, maybe you can, but it, it, it does feel weird. Well, and it's tough, right? Like, let's say they're paying this outside agency, right? What if they're paying them a lot of money? Like $1 million. They're paying $1 million. (laughs) Like, how do you say, instead of, that company you just gave a million dollars to, how about you let me riff on it? That, that might be hard too. Cause they're like, no, we just paid them a lot of money. So I'm just, how do you do that? You know? Yeah. But I think, I think you just have to prove yourself, you know, and, um, somehow yeah. uh, that's tough. I mean, you could just roll take- in. I mean, that would be my style just cause I'm, I just know myself would be to just be like, Hey, look what I whipped together. <laughs> do you, look, do you like it? <laughs> <laughs> that's good but then how what if that backfired they're like no yeah. we don't like well, it there's, you'd have to, what have you been doing the last week oh that's true I guess you'd have to use <laughs> yeah I didn't think about that at all actually uh, but then again but maybe it's totally worth it you know? <laughs> and you're just like yes that's great I don't know and interesting oh wow so in the chat room some guy's saying he uh he uh quit his job last week because uh, they didn't recognize his skills and now they call him for contract work. So there you go, Steve, there's your out backup, backup plan. How's that? Uh, it's it's a, I'll, you know, many years ago, it was a similar story for me. I was at a print job and I wanted to transition into web because I just, I always knew that I wanted to get into web and I was job after job of not being able to find a web job before, before I finally did. But one of the jobs where I was kind of offered a, a another print job that was better. And I was like, I'm probably going to take that. It's not the exact job I want, but it's at least it's a better print job. But, you know, company, I'll totally stay if I can do web for you. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> so yeah. that maybe if you if if like an ultimatum kind of situation comes along where you're gonna leave anyway, you can kind of force your hand a little better. And and it you know it doesn't always work out. It did not for me. <laughs> and their website still sucks. I maybe one other thing you could do, Steve, is like just go a wall on your dribble profile, like you know, little design exercises or something that you do, you know, that you whip up. Maybe do that and then just start sharing them around or whatever. Maybe people are already following you on dribble or something. Um, you know, just kind of like like Mina was saying earlier, raise your profile or whatever. How, however that's done for you in your situation. 
just just kind of start dribbling and sharing stuff and then people somebody is going to recognize it so that's my thought what do we got dave yeah. all right justin scott writes in with a question with today's advancements in html and css how much of a site is image based I have no design skills and was wondering what parts should be displayed with images and what is CSS3 coding? I hope this question makes sense. Mina, any thoughts? How much of a site that you make is image-based? Do you have any? Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. Um, basically, just the images themselves. I don't really use and logos. I don't use a lot of images, so to speak. Maybe I used to use sprites, but now I'm leaning more towards icon fonts. So at the end, yeah, basically it's just whatever actually needs to be an image is an image and everything else is done with CSS. Yeah. That's I mean, that's of course the right answer, I think. And, and, uh, but it, it, I find it interesting to think about like, if you looked at it something with an absolutely untrained eye, right? You just weren't much of a web designer. You're in print and you're trying to make the transition and you look at a website. Even I guess we could go to perigo.com or we could go to, um, what is it? Pink Pixels? Is it, what's the actual URL? I agree. Okay. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and then, and then just in, were to try to attempt to look at it with an eye of like, okay, what on here is an image and what isn't? Um, you can say, um, so I guess for something like that, it would be the background texture is an image. It's the smallest possible image it can be because it's repeating. So I guess the, the best answer to that question is try to use as few ans few images as possible. Yep. Um, if you can attempt to do it with CSS or with HTML, then by all means go for it. But if it absolutely has to be an image, then make it an image. In this case, the background image and the logo are the only images I have on the page. That's see, that's interesting. I think that's what he's asking about a little bit. It's like, it seems like it's hard to know exactly these days. What is that? Maybe the, the message has reached him that this few images as possible is better just because, you know, they don't scale particularly well. They're not good for retina. They're extra HTTP requests, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what can I get away with not using images for? And even if we're looking at pinkpixels.co, your, the logo is an image. That's, I mean, it's fine. I mean, we're not like here to critique it or whatever, but it's, it, it is text, uh, right? So theoretically, maybe if you mm -hmm. use that text in enough on a page that it might be worth um, an at font face thing for. It might not be too, and I suspect it's not the case on your page because, you know, to load an entire character set for to use just a few of the letters from it is probably not uh, an efficient use and, and at, at font face can be heavy. But then there's like the little Twitter icon, a little Facebook icon. Those could be an icon font or they could be SVG, That's div, which is an image format. But it's, you know, when it's embedded right on the page, we kind of think about it a little differently. That background has this kind of those little box texture things. I've seen some pretty wild stuff happen with CSS3 gradients that can kind of make patterns that look a bit like that, you know? So th there's in some world, this page that we're looking at could have none images on it, you know? I, th I feel like CSS3 stuff is like reaching parity with Photoshop, yeah. like pretty fast. Like anything you can do in Photoshop, you can just write out in CSS. If you look at all the Adobe experiments, like they've got like branches of WebKit and I think like Canary, what is it? Like some of iOS 7, 
uh, WebKit Nightly, they have like all these shaders and filters. Like you can use like freaking multiply, yeah. color multiply and stuff like that. And that's all coming. So it, there's the excuses, I guess, to use raster images and stuff like that is, is going downhill. Um, so you should, anytime somebody hands you an image or a PSD or whatever, I think, you know, Justin, you should always be saying like, what can I do in CSS? Cause that's going to be your fastest paint. That's going to be the quickest way to paint a picture on the web. So yeah, mm. that's all I got, Chris. Yeah. Good stuff though. Um, Sponsor, InControlConference.com. Literally go to InControlConference.com. February 17th through 19th. There's two full days of, of speakers in there. The InControl Conference is interesting because they're like really in-depth talks and it's single track, right? So you, you like go listen to somebody talk for literally like over an hour on, on really digging into something. So if one, any of these topics interest you, this is the place to go for like in-depth learning. Uh, pretty interesting, uh, uh, speaker lineup, including Scott McCloud, which I, I didn't know who he was, but it was, it turned out it was kind of a big deal because he writes comic books and then writes about comic books as well. And, and Christopher Schmidt, who runs these things, told us to, uh, asked me if I've read uh, Understanding Comics, which is a Scott McCloud book. And I was like, I haven't, but I ordered it on Amazon and I'm like halfway through it-ish. And it's really interesting. It's like a comic book, literally a big, thick, hardbound book. I ordered the the hardbound one that was uh, that's just kind of explains the kind of the history of comics and trying to define what comics are and, and what they're useful for and stuff. It's really interesting stuff. So he's kind of a, a big thinker kind of guy. And I think that's going to be really interesting at a at a design conference, you know? And then there's a day of yeah. workshops as well. So if you want like the mega, mega, mega learning session of spending a whole day with somebody, you should absolutely do that. So it's at InControlConference.com. Uh, like I said, it's in Orlando, Florida, February 17th through 19th. And you save a hundred bucks with coupon code shop talk. So it's fun. You should go hang out. Let's uh, hang out already. Come on. Dave will be there. So you can do that. Sean S. writes in, I'm a front-end developer that works with a team of talented back-end devs. Unfortunately, they barely know CSS and they're occasionally required to make edits on the site styles. How would you hand off CSS that has been compiled by a preprocessor to a back-end developer? I want to introduce SAS into my daily workflow, but I fear it will be shot down when the back-end devs realize that they're receiving processed CSS. So like I don't know it's kind of, it's kind of a weird situation right Sean wants to use SAS and I'll, I mean of course browsers still use the 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 process CSS and it, it, doesn't it kind of seem like Sean doesn't want to even tell the backend devs he's using SAS what's up with that yeah, yeah. I, wonder, I don't know what do you think Mina um I'm actually in the process of trying to do this at my current uh, day job I really want to introduce SAS but backend developers occasionally have to use their own CSS. And I came up with two solutions. One is probably more preferable than the other, but one would be have them do their own CSS in a completely separate file and just have it uh, cascade, have that lower down the cascade than mine. Nice. So that way they don't have to touch my CSS. Or the other option would be just to do it in SAS and give them the expanded with line comments CSS. I mean, because SAS does spit out usable CSS. So give them that file 
and let them do their edits. The only downside to that one is if you ever have to go back and edit your own SAS files, it'll recompile and everything's lost and it potentially could be a big cluster. Um, somebody in the chat room just put down shame.css, which, yeah, I would say probably something like that I would end up doing, which another CSS file, you can name a shame or whatever that are just little random tweaks that need to be done that aren't necessarily written in whatever the best practice could be. That's a great idea. I think idea. that might be the best solution. Don't edit anything. Just yeah, give I me think- a new little piece of regular CSS that you can apply to the page, and I'll kind of move it over to SAS. If there's absolutely no way that we, you can convince them to use the same kind of workflow that you use. Um, I would say if they're back-end developers, they would love, like, they could get on board pretty quickly. If you just said, Hey, these are all modules really broken up into nice little pieces. And they, you know, cause they're, they'll understand like the object orientation and that, you know, so they should, it may like add one step to them, but they'll, they'll, they'll understand. I think you're right. It's, it's, I, it's, it's, it's typically gets pressed upon the front enders by the back enders. These, these kind of programmatic things, at least in my experience. And you know what? There's, you know, on most sites in the world, I mean, at least, you know, in, in things where there's like a whole team of people working on it, which means it's kind of a company kind of thing. There's a build process. There's some kind of build that happens somewhere, right? Before it goes mm-hmm. live. The, this SaaS type of stuff is part of that build process. So if you can get in on that so that you're building locally, uh, you can make SaaS a part of that thing. And then everybody's on the same, the same project. I think that's the kind of ideal situation is that you introduce SaaS into the build and then it just, you don't even have to, you know, hand someone off compiled CSS or whatever. You're like, hey, if you need to make edits, just make it in the SAS because we're all using the same build process and and it will just work as you expect it to. So I, I guess that's the ideal situation. I know that the world isn't always <laughs> perfect like that. And sometimes you use tools that the next person in the line isn't using. And anyway... Like I use Java CSS and it's a Java thing that compiles to CSS. I'm just kidding. What? I was like, what is that? I know. I'm just thinking of like what what would be like a bad idea that you're trying to like put onto somebody. Not that not that it's bad. We're gonna get a Java email. Oh god, what did I just do? <laughs> What's wrong? I wrote Java? an article about Grunt recently, and that's that's kind of the the this ideal situation too. Is that you kind of you, the build process is part of the repository that you work in as a developer, and that and that that the, all those build steps are like described in the in the grunt file and everybody works from that and thus everybody has the same build and that's just yet another reason that I didn't even really talk about it in that article but that's a big reason that I think things like grunt are are so popular specifically grunt but they're starting to get some competitors uh well and it's interesting you're ha- like we're handing over like soft assets not not compiled css you know you're ignoring your com- compiled folders for the most part, you know, you're no ideally you are folders. because think of so. like uh, committing .css to your repository is useless. You know, it's this huge diff. It'll get overwritten. Yeah, there's no reason that needs to be in your repository. It's not touched by human hands. What makes a commit useful is like, what did a human being on this team change? That's what I want to see. I don't care what a computer changed. You know. Yeah, it's it's just an interesting change of pace. So. I think five years ago, I would have scoffed at people who compiled websites. I would have been like, ha ha, you are a dummy face. That sounds like too much effort. But now I'm like, this is awesome. 
Yeah, I get it. There is a there is a leveling up process that happens here. So we need to kind of be aware of where other people are and organizations are on that on that scale of leveling up. I try to be aware of that as I kind of go up and down on different scales. Your your twenty four ways article was really good, by the way. I don't know if we've mentioned it here on the show, but yeah, it's it was good. And now that I've thank you, by the way, but I and I, I like it too because I like to I like to take that approach of like here, let's try to you know let's approach this weird topic from a from a simple thing. And that I've actually looked at some other tutorials that were really the same thing. I wasn't writing anything that kind of hasn't been written before, but I think it hit the right audience, the right, the, the 24 idea. It's almost, yeah. <laughs> I'm happy that it did so well, but I'm almost jealous that I didn't write it on CSS tricks because it got a ton of traffic. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. I don't actually think that. It... <laughs> yes, that's how I feel. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay, one more. We got we got a few more questions. Actually, here we go. Uh, Catherine Hambly, just wondering if you guys know of anything, if you know anything about how to trademark your personal brand. I'd like to trademark my brand that I use on my website and print collateral, superdesigngirl.com, and call it Super Design Girl Media Company or something like that. Do you know anything about that, Mina? Have you... I haven't actually looked into any kind of trademarks. Um, unfortunately, my my name is actually already trademarked, so I do know that from Are you experience. Serious? I am actually serious. Um, I attempted to get a mina.re domain name for my domain URL shortener, and I was told I can't because Mina is trademarked in Europe. So I know that it's possible, but I don't know how to do it. Wow. Whoa. Your name. I was like, oh, yeah. Pink Pixels is already taken. You're like, no, no. Oh, I mean, my I first mean, name. No, no, my actual name is trademarked by somebody <laughs> in Europe. It's not great, but it's, wow. it's weird. Uh, do, do you have like conversations with your parents <laughs> around the Thanksgiving table? And you're like, <laughs> why didn't you trademark my name? What happened? Didn't think about that, did I, you, Dad, or whatever? <laughs> yeah, I could, but they probably look at me like I was crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> what is the what do you what do we suspect is Catherine's concern about this? Is it that doesn't want to get ripped? Obviously, right? Right. He just doesn't, doesn't want, want an somebody, email someday that just says, "Hey, you can't use that anymore." And even though she's yeah. been using it for ten years or something, that would be a sucky situation to be in, right? Superdesigngirl.co comes in. Boom! Tries to wipe her out. That's what she's trying to avoid. Yeah, I, you know, does the does yeah. that happen? I don't know of any. I mean, it, it probably does, but I don't know. So I am not a lawyer, and so you should talk to a lawyer. Uh, from my understanding, trademarking is super hard. Like you have to submit all these documents. It's like patents almost, right? Like you're you have to it's pretty hard to do. And then you're pretty locked in. Like we've had clients who are like that logo is trademarked. So we have to have TM on the logo and it has to be that exact logo because that is the exact one that we trademarked or something like that. So you're just kind of like, Whoa, dude, that's a lot of actually, that's a lot of stuff that you just (laughs) committed yourself to. So, um, and then I think if you like change your logo, you'd have to refile or make an addendum or something like that. So that's something to like, be concerned about. Um, uh, but I think isn't, so this, this is where I'm very loose. Like you have to 
well, I'm, I'm going to mess this up and I'm not a lawyer, so don't, don't even listen to me here. But, um, as long as like, like there are other podcasts called shop talk or whatever, but they talk about a different kind of shop talk, right? So they're di- So it's different. Um, so we're not in conflict from a trademark perspective or whatever. Um, but if there were two podcasts called shop talk and we were addressed, it was basically the same podcast. We'd probably have a problem or something like that. That's how and, I and even then I'm not sure how the law is involved. We might just have to work it out in a kind of gentlemanly way. In fact, there was a, a conference that was going to be called shop talk. And I think, you know, and we were like, they wanted to know if they could use it. And we're like, yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. You know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, they, I think they ultimately changed it just cause they didn't, they thought, you know, it would be beneficial for them to not have the confusion or whatever. Uh, which is fine, you know that. But that's a case where sh- the 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 law didn't matter. The trademarking didn't. It was just like a tastefulness kind of situation. And as a matter of fact, early in the shop talk days, I don't even care if this is weird to talk about or whatever. But there was some like somebody had an audio book or something called Shop Talk. I can't even remember what it was. And they like were kind of sort of mad at us for using that word because now some Google searches, which you used to return them, return return us now. But as far as I know, they didn't have a any kind of trademark on the name either. And it's and Shop Talk is such a generic term thing that I we ultimately just kind of ignored it. We're like, hey, sorry or something. But you know, like I can't, you know, you just that uh, I was not thing. Yeah, I was not compelled to be like, oh I'm so sorry. Let me let's change the name of our podcast to like random consonants so that we don't trip on anybody who's ever named anything in the history of humankind. Yeah. Uh, and and there was no problem. There we never got a, a, a any lawyer activity or anything like that. And, and I would, at this point, I would, uh, you know, because shop talk's been around for so long, I would defend it. If it came to that, if some lawyer came up, be like, well, you're going to have to, you're going to literally have to lawyer up if you want us to change shop talk at this point. And, and if you win fine, well, we'll change it or something. But if not, if, if it's just because you have something that you also in the history of time named shop talk, you can suck it. Um, I was going to say AIGA has a pretty good resource um, that I, you know, those would be the people I would go to ask for advice. Um, Like the American Institute of graphic artists. That's I think what that stands for, but um, yeah, I would go check it out, you know, and they give like very, you know, if you made the next iPod, you'd want to trade for an iPod, right? So um, obviously there's yeah. a time and a place. We we probably As all need risk to kind of know up, how these things, yeah. Then you should take this more seriously. And maybe there is some serious risk. Maybe you, that, that brand means so much to you, Kimberly, that, that, that losing it would, would be so devastating that you you need to look into it more. I suspect that you're probably okay. I would, I hate to give that out as advice because maybe, you know, I would hate to be the one who, when you really did get that email, you're like, Chris told me it didn't matter. But that's just my <laughs> gut, my gut instinct that superdesigngirl.com uh, you'll be you okay with. Chris Coyer Legal and Partners. Chris Coyer and Partners. I like poops flat. Just change it to the shop talk show. Yeah. Perfect. I would do that. I would, I would be a jerk. Perfect. Okay, we got time for one more, I think, huh? Real quick, yeah. All right. Here we go. Oh, this one's kind of sassy. Here we go. I have Austin or August Scare, S K A R E, 
which is the most awesome spelling of that, is I have fallen in love with how easy CodeKit makes developing websites. But when I work with other people, often in Rails, they just use the terminal to compile SAS. But I really miss compiling and minifying a JavaScript and all that. Is there a way to do this without CodeKit? Oh, man. That's like well, we should just ask Mina, you're on Team it? SAS, but what is your preferred way of compiling it, essentially? I'm one of those people who have switched to the command line. I actually used to use CodeHit, and I once I got more comfortable with the command line, I realized it's just so much faster. So, I yeah, I stick to the command line for nice. most things. And now that Chris did that wonderful article about Grunt, because honestly, I didn't know what the hell that was before, I think I might start using that to compile some or minify JS and CSS and all of that. Nice, because you do, so like when you restart your computer or something, you do have to go to the command line and CD to that directory and then type like compass watch or whatever your preferred watcher. Yeah. Right. Restart. Which is no big deal, right? In Grunt, you still need to go do that, but at least everything kind of like whatever all those commands you have to run are all kind of happen at once. But that's cool. So yeah, right. And so that's an option for you, August, is is to... uh, uh, just use the the command line, I guess. We're talking about just CodeKit alternatives, I guess. And and August like likes CodeKit as as we all do. I think even if I, what's kind of neat about CodeKit, I think, is that even if you move off of it for whatever reason, you still like have a past affinity for it. I find still like oh, mm-hmm. CodeKit is so nice. Um, <laughs> Co- he also says he works with other people in Rails, and so they just use the terminal to compile SAS. Certainly, that's a possibility. But there's also like uh, you don't even have to use the terminal in Rails. I find if you're using the asset pipeline, if you just like link up SAS and then you load the the page in Rails that that SAS is being called on, it just kind of does it. You don't even need to like ask it to compile; it just automatically does it. So how, I don't know if you're maybe you're not using the asset pipeline or you're not using some the Rails mandated way to use SAS or whatever, but that would be a possibility too. Yeah, well, isn't it if you just type Rails s Rails server doesn't that runs the asset pipeline, which will take all your 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 SAS and your CoffeeScript or JavaScript and compile it right? So. But what you're missing is maybe the JS hinting and stuff like that. I don't know how you inject that into the asset pipeline. The point is you don't have to explicitly ask it to compile. If you just change some SAS and then reload the page that that SAS is being used on, it will just reflect that change. Yeah. Um, So, like, live reload... Is that what you? Yeah, I use guard for that though. So you know. So you could just yeah. So guard is like a task thing, like like guard is like grunt watch the watch plugin for guard. Like run these tasks when I change a file. So you tell guard which what files to watch and what you want to do when those files change. And by change, I mean literally change or a new file is added or one is deleted. And you just give it whatever tasks you want it to run. And I, in my case, I use it for one thing, which is when when SAS changes, compile it and inject it. Hmm, there you go. So that's well, then, and there's like a JS hint thing for guard. So basically, you can use guard yeah. to make a code. I was, right? Oh, absolutely. And I would use Grunt in any other case except for when I'm in Rails land, in which case it's all rubied up. So just guard is fine. Rubied up. <laughs> and in fact, I wouldn't mind. Not that it really matters. I would actually like to switch to to grunt anyway. 
and maybe even really, yeah, maybe even off the asset pipeline entirely because it it it's bitten us a couple of times. And like, I kind of like the idea of like a really organized grunt thing, and then grunt on the server too, so that when you when you kind of push out, it, I think it's a little nicer for scaling too, because you can kind of have that same grunt on all your different servers, and you kind of push to all of them, and grunt just builds on all the different servers. Just yeah, I mean, you know. to Node's credit, I've had like less problems switching version to version than Ruby, you know. Yeah, that's so. true. It's always a big deal, right? Have you? Are you? Isn't Rails four out? Do you have anything on that? I don't have anything on Rails four, but I did get a, like a security update from Heroku. That's like all your apps are in danger <laughs> because well, there's huge security problems yeah. in Rails. Right. Blah blah blah. I mean, I upgraded so. to that. I I, I yeah. But yeah, I don't have anything on four either, just because it's hard. It's 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 always so different, or at least different enough that you can't just make a trivial change. Anyway, yeah. that's a little. Uh, oh, we beat that one into the ground. Deep, yeah. Good <laughs> death. Uh, love it, love it. Well, awesome. I think uh, we are out of time, Mina. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys for inviting me. This was great. Before we let you go, though, uh, what is one big thing you'd like to plug? And what is, you know, what, and and then how can people follow you, get in touch with you, give you money on Twitters and stuff? (laughs) Oh, I get buddies. I like buddies. The one big thing I want to plug is actually, I already said it, but my new girl development chapter. If you happen to be in Dallas or know someone that is in Dallas, please hit me up because I'm always looking for teachers and students. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Mina Markham. Um, it's M-I-N-A-M-A-R-K-H-A-M if you want to figure out how to spell it. And my uh, online presence, I guess, is Mina.is is my website. So, um, yeah, keep in touch, please. Awesome. awesome. And I know a lot of the Austin Girl Develop It people, so maybe I can send them your way. So. Just up Please the road. and thank you. All right. Let's see what I can do. Uh, thanks, everyone, for coming down the chat room. You guys were a great success. Thank you for downloading this in your podcatcher of choice. Be sure to rate us up with a five stars and uh, be sure to follow us at Shop Talk Show on Twitter. And uh, we are nearing episode 100 of the Shop Talk Show. It'll happen sometime next year. We're going to be taking a couple weeks off, right, Chris, for the holidays? Yeah, next week and in, in the just just because... Just to give ourselves yeah. a little bit of a break. Maybe we'll call it season four when we come back or whatever. Coming back, season four. So, everyone, enjoy your, your happy holidays. If you make something cool on the the break while you're in between eggnog binges, be sure to uh, tweet us. Show us off, show, yeah, show off what you're doing. That's my favorite thing ever. Up. When somebody's like, just like, I made this. Yeah, right. And it's just a, it's an email or a tweet or something that just is just it means nothing there's no biz dev crap attached to it it's just like look at this thing i made and i'm like awesome you know anyway that's my new holiday tradition is bug triage yeah (laughs) oh man i remember last time the other week and it was just it was rolling because we're a part of a lot of the same repos or whatever i was like dang dave be closing bugs like a mo thanksgiving triage Tis the season. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You guys are the greatest. And Chris, you got anything else left to say? Shoptalkshow.com. Ta da!